The Problem Physician Returns to Work. How do we monitor physicians with substance abuse? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. Lynn Hankus. Dr. Hankus is Clinical Professor Emeritus at the University of Washington School of Medicine in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. He is also a past president of the Federation of State Physician Health Programs, the umbrella organization for such programs. Dr. Hankus is among the 100 pioneer physicians in the entire U.S. who passed the first certification exam in addiction medicine. Dr. Hankus, thanks for being with us today and uh, talking with us about problem physicians and how they might get back to work. Before we get to that topic, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the addiction medicine business? Well, years ago when I was uh, practicing surgery, I became aware of some physician colleagues who were suffering from alcoholism and got involved with the Panel for Impaired Physicians, which was part of the Illinois State Medical Society. That was their early version of a state physician health program. And I became fascinated with the outpouring of compassion and tough love exhibited by this group in addressing and assisting the problems their fellow physicians were having and soon learned that early identification of physicians with problematic behavior and their quick evaluation and treatment if they had a condition requiring it and monitoring afterwards were extremely effective ways to deal with this whole issue. And I uh, made a transition into addiction medicine back in the uh, early 80s and have been doing that for the past quarter century, uh, practicing addiction medicine as well as dealing uh, with physicians who have some of these problems. Well, that is, uh, that is an interesting career change. And um, you mentioned that you were part of uh, monitoring early on in your career. Let's talk a little bit about that. We know that uh, physicians uh, can work with physician health programs and get treatment for substance abuse, alcoholism. When physicians come out of treatment and they're deemed perhaps ready to return to work, what happens next? How do, how do we monitor them? Well, successful completion of primary treatment for alcoholism or drug dependency or some mental illness is a criterion that must be met in order to join or be a member of a physician health program. If they are successfully completed treatment and are deemed by the treatment facility to be able to return to practice safely, then they can join the PHP, and they must have a signed written contract, which basically has five critical elements, the first of which being total abstinence. We know that uh, the alcoholic cannot never return and the, under any circumstances to uh, so-called social drinking, nor can any drug-addicted individual ever return to recreational drug use. So total abstinence is critical. The second element is behavioral monitoring. Most of these uh, physician health programs will meet with the physician clients a regular basis, and the earlier they are in recovery, the more frequent the meetings are, have face-to-face contact, and uh, observe how they are progressing throughout the recovery process, and they monitor and measure several indicators. Uh, one of the most important elements of uh, the chemical dependency contract with a client is that they engage in, in so-called chemical monitoring. And by that, we have a confidential drug testing program that is never known to the patient when he or she is going to be called on 
they typically call into a 1-800 number to hear a recording of the day which tells a color. And if that matches their pre-designated color, they must provide a urine sample within hours. And so they never know when that's going to happen. This is random, and that could happen uh, today, and it could happen again tomorrow. That's right. It could be back-to-back. It could be two weeks apart, Mm -hmm. and so forth. And again, the earlier in recovery, the more frequent uh, the urine testing. The fourth element is a worksite monitor. If, for example, you were the physician client in question under contract with us and you worked at St. Elsewhere's Hospital, we would designate someone in that hospital, independent from you, usually a vice president of medical affairs, the chief of a particular department where you work, somebody who's unbiased, somebody who understands confidentiality, not a partner, not a colleague, not a political ally or enemy, someone is truly independent, to be your so-called worksite monitor who's going to watch you do your practice on a regular routine basis. And the last element is attendance at mutual help groups. Those are the essential elements of a physician contract. Sounds um, pretty complex. How long can a doc expect to be monitored uh, in that fashion? Well, if we're talking about a physician who has alcoholism or drug dependency, it's for five years. Eighty-eight percent of physician health programs across the country now monitor for five years. And the reason we do that is both alcoholism and drug dependency are chronic illnesses. And what chronicity means is, one, they're permanent, they never go away, and two, they're prone to relapse. So in order to protect the public, we have to monitor these individuals. We just can't assume that none of them is ever going to relapse. And if they do relapse, we want to cut that off at the pass so it does not progress to, to impairment. So the, uh, the monitoring process goes on for five years. What happens if the doc uh, relapses? Well, that's a great question, and and it's important to acknowledge that relapses do happen. We used to kind of have an ostrichitis attitude about that and claim these uh, an extraordinary high rates of success, when in in reality that's not true. Uh, Relapses do occur, and what happens to the doctor who relapses depends on the type of relapse that, that occurs. Relapse is a spectrum of activity. Uh, There's a prodromal event where the behavior starts to vary a little bit, uh, and that progresses to a persistent prodromal event. There's a so-called slip, which often happens in early recovery. For example, the physician goes home to Chicago to Grandma's Irish Wake, and no one knows there that he's been through treatment and and is indeed alcoholic, and someone toasts Irish whiskey to Grandma, and he goes on a weekend binge, flies back home, and says, oh, my Lord, what have I done? Calls his AA sponsor, calls the physician health program, says, this is what I did, it's crazy. That's called a slip. Then we have a partial relapse where there's still good contact with our program and there is some chemical use again, but there's not a lot of erratic behavior and it's, it's caught early on. Then we have a full relapse and, and then progressing down to the uh, relapse with impairment on the job, which is the worst kind. So depending on what happens, the physician can merely get redirected, the the monitoring can be intensified, they can have to go back and be retreated again, or they can get automatically reported to the medical board. Do we have enough data to say what a typical relapse rate might be among medical uh, professionals? I'm glad you raised that question because that's something near and dear to our heart. The Washington Physicians Health Program uh, published in uh, JAMA on the March 23rd, 30th issue in 2005, a paper entitled risk factors for relapse in healthcare professionals with substance use disorders. And we studied 293 consecutive physicians over 11 years. And we found out that the cumulative relapse rate over that 11-year period was 74 out of the 292 for a 25% relapse rate, which is 
extremely low uh, when compared to the general public. What might that be, or um, what, what do you think a general public relapse rate would be? Well, I think it can be as high as uh, anywhere from 50 to 75 percent. So, so 25 percent is pretty good. Well, 25 percent is absolutely uh, outstanding. But again, the problem when you mention that word relapse is like when you mention the word impairment, where they think they misconstrue having alcoholism or drug dependency as equating to impairment, which is not true. Having a relapse does not equate to impairment either. All of the folks who relapsed, you know, in the 25% who did relapse, there was not one single case of on-the-job impairment. There was not one single case of patient harm because these relapses were detected early and the appropriate measures were taken to get these folks retreated and so forth. Now, occasionally, we had to draw the line and say, like, for example, what if they had a second relapse? Now, that's an automatic report to the medical board. If they had a relapse on the job, that's an automatic report to the medical board. Then they have some disciplinary sanction, and we're not hesitant to do that. Is it fair to say that uh, after the relapse, the recovery may actually uh, get better, improve, become more robust, I guess? Well, that's what we used to think, uh, but that's a myth. Hmm. If you have one relapse your chances of having the second one go up to 43%. Having a relapse by itself is a risk factor for a subsequent relapse. Yeah, I I think that's probably not generally appreciated in our business. You you talked about 25% as being obviously a good result. What's your thinking about why PHPs, uh, physician health programs, are as successful as they are? Well, we have a little joke in the field about that, and we say there are three reasons why physician health programs are so successful. successful. One is monitoring, two is monitoring, and three is monitoring. Got it. There are obviously other reasons. Physicians are intervened upon earlier, so their disease has not progressed as far. So the cancer hasn't spread, so to speak. Secondly, uh, physicians uh, have a skill set and a mindset that allows for prompt and adequate treatment, and they have something to go back to. It's not something they've got to totally relearn. They have a lot at stake. They're like airline pilots. You don't want to take the wings away from them, and you don't want to take the doctor's stethoscope away because we over-identify with our occupation. So that's always hanging out there in the loom. You know, that's that's the stick. Mm-hmm. We use the carrot, but the stick is out there. You better get the message and do what you're supposed to do, otherwise you're going away. But the reason monitoring is so important is monitoring essentially enforces abstinence from the chemical. And with the chemical out of the system and combining that, with ongoing attendance at the mutual health groups like AA and NA, then the transformation we call recovery can occur more easily. And that's the reason that the programs are so successful. As a matter of fact, one of the editorials on our JAMA issue in 2005, and and by the way, that's volume 293, pages 1453 to 60, the editorial uh, written by David Gasfried, MD, made the case for why not apply the physician model to the whole chemical dependency field, and we wouldn't have as great a relapse rate out there in the general public. And I suppose that's true if we had the resources to do it. Exactly. Well, Lynn, maybe before we go, is there a overall take-home message that uh, we can share with our audience about uh, physician health programs and uh, impaired or problem physicians? Yes, there is, Gary, and I think that it's important for them to realize that chemical dependency, meaning alcoholism and drug dependency, and mental illnesses are disease states that having disease itself does not constitute impairment, that having a doctorate-level degree behind your name does not confer immunity upon you, that to identify these physicians requires a huge educational effort. Intervention is necessary for what I told about before. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. 
but you can't put salt in the oats, and that's what an intervention does. The specific treatment for a physician does work. It's very effective. The studies show that. Monitoring, however, is critical. Physician health programs are very effective if they have the confidentiality component. The public is indeed protected. The message is we, I call it the three Ps. Physician health programs and state medical boards are the three Ps, partners in protecting the public. Bottom line is don't terminate these docs, rehabilitate them. And as in all of medicine, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Indeed it is. Lynn, thanks for uh, taking the time to share your experiences and, uh, and your thoughts in this important issue of problem physicians and addiction. My thanks to Dr. Lynn Hankus, who has been our guest. We've been discussing the problem physician returns to work. How do we monitor? I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening.